The scripture today comes from Psalm 145, and we will be reading it responsively. So please follow along. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises, and faithful in all he does. The Lord upholds all who fall, and lifts up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand, and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Fifth Reform Church. On behalf of the Words of Hope Ministries, and Reverend John Ofgen North, our president, and all the staff team here in Grand Rapids and all over the world, I bring New Year greetings to all of you. Thank you, Jennifer. You read that Psalm 145 very creatively, and the sermon is already complete. <laughs> you know, somebody said, if you have read the scripture well, the sermon is already complete. The scripture speaks by itself. It's powerful. I am also here to specially thank you for your partnership with the Words of Hope. You know, you make a significant contribution, especially as you partner with us in Bhutan, in a very difficult country. You know, it's a, Bhutan is a closed country, and there is no church. Most of the churches exist underground, house churches. We have four staffs right now, two of them inside and two of them outside, bordering the Bhutan. We have one studio and one discipleship training center and a lot of social media program we produce in Sangla and then also in Drukpa 
and then uh, Mompa. Uh, quite a good number of Mompa also live in the, my state, the Indian border side of that. So that's a Mompa language. And most of them are Buddhist. <clears throat> you know I come from Buddhist background. I belong to Kamba tribe. And lots of Mompa, they are still Buddhist. So thank you for supporting. And also, as you partner with us, you bring a lot of encouragement to the whole of the country of India. We have eight centers in South Asia, you know, and all the way from north in Jammu and Kashmir to central northern part of Lohardaga and Rachi, then Patna and Jahanabad, which is purely Hindu-dominated area, and then northeast. And each of these centers, we have a team leaders. We are around 65-plus team. And the Ministry of Words of Hope in India is very unique because we draw on our board leaders from Roman Catholic Church, from Methodist, Lutheran, Pentecostal, you know, almost every major denomination. They sit on our board and we partner with them because Words of Hope Ministry not only go to pioneer, reach out, bring new people to Christ, but also we encourage the existing churches and partner with them and take them along in follow-up. And so they see us as a kingdom-oriented ministry. We are not there to plant a denomination. And that credit goes to you as a RCHS that do you understand kingdom perspective? My bonding with this church has now even become more stronger. You are already strong because John Pastor is all, all, all already on the boards of Words of Hope. But even now stronger because one of your own member, Mr. Ted Bonk and Eleanor, they lead another ministry called Transforming Leaders in Asia, which focuses on training pastors and leaders. We understand the significance of establishing strong leaders in these places. Leaders matters most. Those are the key effective areas to continue the work of God, establishing the native leaders as the strong leaders. So Ted is the president of Transforming Leaders in Asia, and currently now we are building a training center for leaders. It's a $1.5 million project, and you can ask Ted how to do that. He, has a great, he is a great man of faith, and I'm just, uh, he's, uh, you know, uh, subordinate to listen to the orders of president, whatever he says. So I'm right now also holding another, you know, hat as an executive director. I have multiple tasks, uh, so you need to pray for me also. Sometimes I get lost. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> this morning, I want to speak from Psalm 145, but actually, I want you to take you to the book of Psalms. Do you realize that in 66 books, Psalm is one of the most popular books? How many of you have mostly used Psalms? Very easily, right? It's an easily referred book. You know, I, I remember a joke. There was a pastor who would preach uh, every Sunday sermon from Psalms. And somebody asked him, you know, why do you preach always Psalms? He said, you know, it's because you really don't need to prepare. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so busy visiting people and attending committee meetings and doing this and that and church maintenance. So the easiest thing is to turn, open the Psalms and preach from there. Psalm is a very popular book. And so I want to speak on Psalms. But before that, I also up, want to update you on our country, India, 
please join us in praying for India. In two weeks from now, the election will begin in four of the states in India. And as you know, in, in India, there are some political parties who are intensively, aggressively engages, engages in polarizing the whole country on the basis of religion because they need the majority vote. So the worst thing is happening. A lot of persecution has started. The churches are vandalized. So pray for our country. We need godly and wise leaders who put nation above their political parties. Sometimes winning elections is a you know, temporal benefit, but they lose the farsightedness that they are actually sowing the seed of hatred, which will have a long-term impact. So pray for our country. If you want to uh, uh, listen and enjoy my sermon, I will encourage you to open the Bible and keep it in front of you. I see that you have a, a Bible in your pew, and if you turn at page 431, you will find the Psalter there, Psalm. So I would like to draw your attention to the book of Psalms, which is a collection of 150 Psalms, and it is also known as the Psalter. You know, most of us, it's very to say, easy for us to say Psalter rather than Psalms, because Psalms could be simply a collection of Psalms. Psalms of Ascents or Korahite Psalms. But when we say Psalter, we are referring to the entire book that contains 150 Psalms. Out of the 66 books, Psalter is one of the book. Around 450 years before Christ, when the Jews returned to their home, after 70 years of exile, when they were rebuilding the temple, they decided to compile a hymnal for the temple liturgy. And Psalter is that hymnal, just like you have your own hymnal. You know, and you, you decide, you know, as a Reformed church, what kind of songs? As a Baptist church, what kind of songs? If you are having missions conference, what kind of songs? If it is an evangelistic camp, what kind of songs? You gather them together and you create an anthology, you create a hymnal. And behind these compilations, collections, and publications, you as an editorial team, you have an intent. What do you ultimately want to achieve? Remember that individual psalms, as well as smaller collections of psalms, already existed prior to the Psalters. And that's why you see in the psalms, there are a group of Korahite psalms, Asaphite Psalm, Thanksgiving Psalms, Psalms of Essence, and then we also see Hallelujah Psalms, Praise the Lord Psalms. So they were already existence, but they, you know, were compiled. You know, they had the choice of choosing from a great collections of Psalms. There were 73 Psalms written by David, 12 by Asaph, 10 Psalms by Korah, 2 by Solomon's, and then one each by Haman, the Ezraite, Ethan, the Ezraite, and Moses. So there are several Psalms also you will see in the Psalter that does not have any title. We don't know who wrote them. But now, for the liturgy in 450 BC, they had a new challenge to rearrange them and place them in a new literary context social context, religious context, 
you know, your mind is shaped by your context and you start thinking because what you see and you understand the need. Many Bible scholars believe that the editors, or I can say sages, and if you want, you know, I will not have enough time because in, within 30 minutes, I cannot give you the entire, but if you want to read details, because I wrote a book on Psalm 145, reading Psalm 145 with sages, and if you want to f read that book, it's available on Amazon. If you simply write, reading Psalm 145 with sages, or you write down my name, you will find it. That's for your, you know, today it will be more like an appetizing for you to understand how rich is the Psalter. So many Bible scholars believe that the editors who compiled them, they had a definite theological or religious or spiritual agenda or intention. And as they were planning, arranging, placing each Psalms, and compiling, and before they publish, they wanted to convey their own deeper spiritual convictions through their arrangements. Because they wanted to shape the spiritual life of the devotees of Yahweh in their own time, as they look. So most of the time we read Psalms thematically. You know, one particular sentence, I like it, so I read that particular Psalms. Or many of the scholars, they like to read Psalms on, in a historical context. What happened when David was running away, away from Absalom? So that's the historical context. But lately, in the last 20 years, scholars, they have found that more than those two, there is another angle of reading at the psalm. There is another perspective. That's called text-linguistic perspectives. Why the psalm is arranged in the way that is arranged. Editors were not simply juggling and throwing in the air and then they fall in places. No. They had an intention why Psalm 145 should be placed before 146 and after 144. Why not at the beginning? Why Psalm 1 has to become the first Psalm? What's the reason? So there is an intent. So these Bible scholars say that there is a pattern in the whole arrangements of the Psalter. And the pattern signifies, signifies or represents their intelligence, their theological conviction, their spiritual intent. Now, open your Bible and look at that in, at page 431. If you have your own Bible, that's wonderful. I really encourage you, have your own Bible always because you can write on your Bible. On your digital Bible, it's so difficult to write. So I'll, that's why I always like to carry my hard copies. So encourage you to have Bible. In one of the church, some preacher was preaching and he says, if you don't have a Bible, sit beside one Christian. So, so there's some time, we really don't carry Bible because the Bible is already available in the church. But it's good to have your own Bible and stay as close and as frequently as possible so that you leave behind all this print. And when you re revisit your Bible, it's easy to understand what you're reading. So you see that the Psalter is actually divided in five sections. You see that in 431, it's written 1 to 41. That's the first book. The second book is 42 to 72. There is a third book, 73 to 89. And then fourth book is 90 to 106. And fifth book is 107 to 150. But the fifth book is very interesting. Fifth book has two sections. The 
Psalm 145 is put as a penultimate to the crescendo because Psalm 146 starts as a Halil, Halil Psalm, praise the Lord Psalm. 146 to 150 is the final, you know, crescendo. And Psalm 145 is the last Davidic Psalm. When the editors were compiling on purpose, they compiled them into five books. Fifth Reform Church, I don't know why you chose five. But in the Old Testament, it's interesting. 512, 512, 512. Five books of Torah, 12 books of history, five books of poetry, five books of wisdom, you know? and then five books of major prophet, 12 books of minor prophets. 512, 512. Numbers for the Hebrew community were very important, very significant. They must have wondered why God created only five fingers, why not seven or six or three. And so when the editors, when they were compiling, they got all the 150, but on purpose they put in only five groups, five books. Maybe they, are, they were trying to put as far as equal to the Moses writing the Torah, five books of Torah, so the five books, books of poetry. And they are equally authoritative as Psalms writing. And they ascribe the entire Psalter to David because David was considered another patriarch, highly respected patriarch. So the first three group is known for its laments. You will see the first three has a lot of laments. Why God? Where are you? When God? And then suddenly the fourth book is starting with the psalm, only psalm written by Moses. And suddenly it starts with an assertion, and we call it fourth book is a Yahweh kingship psalm, kingship psalm, where Yahweh is exalted as a king. And the fifth book at 107 starts as Toda psalm, thanksgiving psalm. So there is a pattern. The fifth group is known also for thanksgiving and also Halel psalm, where we see the reputation, the loving kindness of the Lord endures forever. You don't see that at the beginning part in the first book. There is a movement within the Psalter from the emphasis on Torah, law, to Todah, thanksgiving, to Halel, to praise the Lord. It's almost like shaping the spiritual progression and growth of an individual devotees. Yes, you have begun with Torah, the book of the law. Blessed are those who meditate on the book of the law. They do not depart from it. Yes, that's good. It's a good beginning. And as an evangelical, we emphasize on the reading of the book and faithfully obeying the word of God. That's wonderful. But that's only a beginning. Your deep commitment to the word of God, listening and reading and obeying is not good enough in your spiritual journey. That's the only beginning. You have to progress in your journeys where you reach, where, where your focus is more on thanksgiving. And praising the Lord in spite of, you know, in spite of whatever situation may be. So we see that progression. There is a movement from trusting in human ability. You know, your grip on Torah, your understanding, those do not sit in the council of the wicked. You know, those who not stand in the assembly of the wicked. These are all your anthropocentric, your human 
you know, center, your ability to read the word of God, your ability to remain in the company of the believer, your ability not to go to the wicked, from anthropocentric to theocentric, where you f- put your all your confidence and trust in God, God center. Are you progressing towards that? Have you moved to that journey? So let us see some more literary patterns in the Psalter. We see that the book ending one to three, notice the occurrence in the word. And I will encourage you to turn with me as I refer, and you will see, you will enjoy. Let's turn to Psalm 4113. Psalm 4113. We will have a Bible drill. We are all evangelicals, and we know the word of God very well. So we know exactly where Psalm 4113 is there. In one of the student camp, I was, you know, trying to test how much they really use the word of God. And I say, let's turn to Hezekiah chapter 1, verse 1. And everybody was turning. (laughs) Okay, Psalm 41, verse 13. He says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. So be it, so be it. Very anthropocentric. It's a human desire. Amen and amen. Strong desire. That's the ending of the first book, 4113. Psalm 72, 19 to 20. 72, 19 to 20. That's the ending of another second book. Psalm 72, 19 to 20. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with the glory. Amen and amen. You see the double amen there. Then we see Psalm 89, 52. That's the third book ending. Psalm 89 is considered one of the darkest books. It's a psalm of rejection where David is crying, why have you rejected me, O Lord? And that book also ends saying, praise be to the Lord forever, amen and amen. Double amen. But fourth book ending is slightly different. In Psalm 106, verse 48, praise be to the Lord the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, let all the people say amen. There only one amen. And then there is initiation of the first praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. But the fifth book ending is Psalm 150 verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. There is no more amen. Psalm 107 onwards you will not see any amen. And Psalm 146 onwards, in fact, you will see every psalm starts with praise the Lord and ends with the praise the Lord. And then Psalm 150, where every verse starts with praise the Lord. That's interesting. But book one, or Psalm one in book one, doesn't start with any praise the Lord. He says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked much more of an instruction and much more dependent on your ability if you walk. Psalm 42.1 is different. That's the beginning of the second book. As the deer pants for the streams of water, in spite of the fact that you are grounded in the book, yet you are thirsty like a deer. Yes, you are still panting. Psalm 73.1-2, that's the third book. Surely God is good to Israel, but as for me, my feet. I'm grounded in the word of God, but I still keep on failing. Doesn't it happen to you and me? 
as a young believer? Psalm 91 to 2 is again turning point. The fourth book, A Prayer of Moses. As I said, the turning starts from the fourth book. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, you know, such a confident assurance. Lord, you have been my dwelling place. You have been. And then Psalm 107, 1, he says, since you have been the Lord, you have been our dwelling place. I want to give thanks. Toda Psalm begins, give thanks to you. So where are you in your spiritual journey? Are you still struggling? Blessed are those trying to be a blessing, blessed person, putting every day effort, rising up, reading the word of God and spending time in prayer and fasting, putting our best effort. That's good. But your destination is not only that. Your destination is that you come to a point where your hearts are filled with gratitude. No matter what circumstances, you're always thanking God and you're always praising God. You have reached to a crescendo where you, you begin the day with praise the Lord and every moment begins with praise the Lord and every moment ends with the praise the Lord. You become a living gratitude. People can see the gratitude of God in your life. You become an example. Psalm 40, 145 is the last Davidic psalm and is particularly placed at the end before the crescendo. David is becoming our model. He is the ideal. He is the model to all of us. And look at the life of David, the way he is, you know, making a commitment. His motive is, I will. He doesn't say I may or I shall. If you know auxiliary verb, you say shall and will, there is a big difference. Or I should or I might. No, I will exalt you, my God, my King. It's a personal. Not I will exalt you because I'm in the fifth reform and I'm a member of fifth reform. It's a responsibility as a corporate group. It's me. It's about me personal. It's my personal commitment. Not because the worship leader <laughs> led me. Even if there is no one to lead me, I will worship. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name. How long? Forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise is greatness. No one can fathom. That's my conviction. That's my conviction. I'm going to praise him forever and over. The churches and the corporate institution can host worship services, but the success of the worship cell be dependent on the number of individuals who are personally resolute and committed to it. I think the worship leader will tell you. You know, you, they struggle. They try to motivate the congregation, but the congregation is like worshiping, folding hand, raising hand. And the worship leader is trying hard, trying to sing as much emotional song, strumming with the melodious, trying to show them you can raise your hand, but the worship congregation, actually they just got up and they had a late night movie yesterday. <laughs> and the morning the coffee maker was not working. So they barely made the church. Worship and praise are lifetime commitment. It is a lifestyle. It is not an event. It's not a program. This is the purpose of life. You know, I worship you. 
You know that's a Maranatha song. It's a very famous in India. I don't hear you singing here. The reason I leave is to worship you. Worship includes a passionate desire for proclamation because you're filled with the love of God and the goodness of God that you can't keep your mouth shut. It just bubbles out. It comes out and you want to say, God is good. He loves me. He answered my prayer. He is good in spite of, though the fig tree does not blow them, I yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Dr. Luke, that's why he writes in Acts chapter 17, verse 16 to 7, when Paul was, you know, waiting for them in Athens, and as he looked around and he saw everywhere idols, he was agitated. Because he wanted to tell everybody that these idols are not that good as my Lord is good. <laughs> I want you to know that these idols are not, not as good as my God. One generation, we see in Psalm 145, he says, one generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. I may go a little bit, two, three minutes longer. Outside anyway, there's a snow, so you will feel warmer here. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate. My mouth will speak, in verse 21 says. Proclamation is indispensable aspects of worship. If you are a true worshiper, you can't help but to proclaim. You can't help but to represent Jesus Christ and evangelize people. Tell them about who Jesus is. That's part of your worship living. It is never-ending task until all humanity comes to know him and worship him who deserves the worship alone. And that's why worship precludes missions. And the purpose of worship is missions. True worship can't help but engage in missions. So the ultimate goal that the whole creatures, whole creation will worship him. Who deserves the worship alone? The method has to be oral and is in words of speech. There are popular slogans among evangelicals is witness through life is more important. Live your life and if somebody asks you, tell them about Jesus. Mm-hmm. The psalmist doesn't say that. Even before somebody asks, I'm going to tell them. I will evangelize through my life, but I will also evangelize through my proclamations. And that's why Paul writes, for Christ's love compels me. Not to live out a life of integrity, a life of righteousness, compels me to proclaim. So Fifth Reformed Church, you can't help but engage in the missions with Words of Hope and many other organizations in whatever way, in your neighborhood, in your workplaces, you are a mission church before you are worship, worshiping church. There are three simple messages that Psalm 145 asserts. One is the attributes of God. The Lord is gracious. And as you see the world situations, and I see the bankruptcy in every religion, currently in India, Hinduism is bankrupt with love. So is Islam. 
You and I only know a compassionate and gracious God. Forgiving God. And this whole world, humanity, in crisis, without such unconditional love. Only you and I can give that message. It is possible that like the nation of Israel, Christians' churches also can become parochial and focus to inwardly need. Their spirituality may become private and enterprise for personal sustenance, personal blessing. But God is wanting us to step out, come out of the comfort zone and become his instrument. It's about kingdom. It's not about comfort. It's about kingdom. In Psalm Isaiah 49, 67, you know, to Israel, he says, it is too small thing for you to be my servant. To restore the tribes of Jacob. He says, Israel, it's too small to gather in one place and become a nation and gather each other and, you know, return from exile and become a nice community. It's too small. It's actually a byproduct of blessing. That's not the purpose for you to come together. The purpose is for you to come together is to become light to the Gentiles. That's your ultimate goal. Establishing a church and worshiping in one place and having a nice facilities. That's not your ultimate goal. This is only a means. The ultimate goal is to become light to the Gentiles. The third message is the Lord cares for all creations. Remember, he doesn't care only for his devotees and his disciples and those who have followed. No, 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 no. Psalm 145, you know, in my research I found the word, Hebrew word called kol, which is translated in English is all. Is repeated more than 16 times. All. All. Not only Fifth Reform Church, not only RCA. All. Not only Christians. No. Lord cares all creation. It's only church. It's not only church planting, but by the way, it's not only disciple making. You know, I just came from South and I have spent quite a long time in South. Sometimes I find difficult that there is a hole in the whole gospel. Because for us, sometimes when we see the gospel, it's only church planting, baptism. But if you read the Bible, it's not only church planting. It's about taking care of the hungry and naked, making the gospel whole by reaching out those who are poor, those who are destitute. The Lord upholds all those who fall and lifts up all who bow down. The eyes of all look to you and give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and loving towards all he has made. Verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. You read the Psalms 145, you will be finding that it's a very universal psalm. It's not a Christian psalm. And that's why I did research Psalm 145 because it's so relevant to 1.3 billion people in India where only less than 3% are Christians. They need Psalm 145. They need to know that there is a Yahweh, creator God, who cares for you, in spite of the fact you may be Muslim, fundamentally Muslim or fundamentally Hindu, but he is looking for you. He wants to reach out. He wants to provide food for you and clothes for you. 
You know, there was funding agency, they used to send uh, money to us. He says, this money is only for training the leaders, the Christian leaders. But I says, well, now it's a COVID-19, we can't have this training, we can't bring the Christian leaders, but out there, there are a lot of daily workers who doesn't have the money to buy even masks. And because of the lockdown, they don't have any earning. Some of them not even burned their, you know, they have not entered the kitchen. They don't have a food ration for the whole week. Would you allow us to use this money to buy some food for them and buy some mask and sanitizer? He says, uh, let me talk to the board. <laughs> and I'm glad the board says, oh, yes, you should do that. And we went ahead and did that. In last year, I'm talking about 19, uh, 2020. You know what happened as a result? A new church came up. We, didn't, we were not planning to plant the church. These people started coming together for asking for prayers, and then slowly, one, two, three, and fellowship, and now we have a new Hindi church in Guwahati, Pratna Sava. You can, if you Google at EBC's Evangelical Baptist Church, Guwahati, on Facebook, they will tell you about Pratna Sava. They had, this morning, you know, I got up and I was looking at it because they already finished the worship. And I saw the group is now eight of them. They were actually two who used to come. And these are all Hindus. They are coming for prayer. Yes. Psalm is very rich. As you reach, and if you deeply understand the meaning, the intent of the editorials, where it wants you to journey in your spiritual journey, from Torah to Thanksgiving to praise the Lord, and you start understanding the reason I leave is to worship you. And not only I worship, but I let the whole world, let every creature praise him. That is the reason I leave, so that everyone may come to know our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Shall we bow our head? Almighty God, we thank you for the richness of your word, and thank you for, Lord, giving us privilege and opportunity, opportunity to be part in this wonderful work for the whole world, that you give us opportunity to participate in this divine work, in the kingdom business. We thank you for calling us to go besides you, Lord, to the unreached places. I pray, Father, that you will inspire and encourage every member of this Reformed Church, that they will find this true meaning of the Psalter in their own life, in their own journey, that they will move further beyond the Word of God. They will become men and women filled with gratitude, filled with worship, filled with missions for your glory. Thank you for hearing our prayers. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.